Aloha, it's Robert Stelic with Blue Planet. Welcome to the Blue Planet Show. I have Sheila right here in my home office in the garage, and I interview wing foil addicts like myself. I want to say a big thank you to our sponsors. This show is brought to you by people like you, Blue Planet customers who support our business. And you know, when our business does great, I can do fun stuff, get on the water and do interviews like this and share it with the world. So thank you so much to our customers for your support. And I just wanted to mention too, the Wasp V2 wings we're talking about here in this video are available at Blue Planet or they're on the way. So they're being shipped and we should have them within a few days after this show airs. And if you're interested, call our shop. We can take pre-orders or ship them out right away. We um, probably gonna be one of the first dealers to actually have them in stock. I'm stoked about that. And uh, of course, the show is with Rob Whittle. He is the co-founder and head designer at Ozone. And he talks about the Wasp V2 design, really gets into detail on that after we go over his background and so on. And then after about 46 minutes, we start talking about the Armstrong A plus wing system or basically upgraded fuselage system. That's really interesting stuff too. That was just released by Armstrong. And then my favorite part was at the end when we just talk about life in general and the pandemic and you know how to live your best life. And so thanks so much for being a great conversation partner, Rob. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did at home, or you can listen to it on, as a podcast or watch it on YouTube. Either way, and we do, I do have pictures and video in the, on YouTube, but listening to it as a podcast is another great way to listen to these super long interviews. So thanks so much for checking in. Welcome to the show, Rob Whittle. Great to have you. This is actually the first time I have a designer on the show, someone who actually designs the products that we love to use. Thanks, thanks so much for joining us. You're where, where are you right now? Uh, thank you very much for. I'm currently in uh, Raglan, New Zealand. Let's start a little bit just with your background. What, where did you grow up, and uh, how did you get into water sports, and what, what's your business background and design background, and all that? Just start from the very beginning and take your time. Go into details. <laughs> And, and lots of stories. It uh, knows me, knows I like to talk, so you'll be, you're good. <laughs> okay. Um, so it, it all started actually with in my youth with hang gliding. My father was a pioneer in the UK in the hang gliding scene. And so we grew up with hang gliding from the age of the four and five onwards. I got my first hang glider flight with my father on his back, sort of piggyback style, when I was about five years old. Those memories stuck in my head until I was 16 when I was actually allowed to go flying and you know, illegally go flying solo. In those days, the uh, prerequisite was you had to be 16. So at 16, uh, I'd shown a lot of interest in motorcycles, but my father steered me away from motorcycles and offered me hang gliding lessons instead if I would stay off the motorbikes. I said yes, went hang gliding for my first lesson and just knew straight away that uh, I'd found something pretty special. And uh, from then on, it just blossomed into a hang gliding career. And I went to around the world uh, competing at hang gliding. Ended up working for some factories in, first I was just testing gliders to check that they'd come out of the factory to spec and they flew straight and everything felt how they should feel. Then I started tuning hang gliders and trimming hang gliders and working with the sail makers. And then after a, a few years of that, paragliding came along 
moved into paragliding because uh, it seemed like a good thing to do. Anything that got me in the air more was attractive. So I was hand gliding and paragliding together. And I had quite a successful uh, competitive career in both those sports. And it just, everything kept pushing me towards the design. It wasn't something that I was prepared for, or I was prepared for it because I'd spent so many years already working with designers and working within the trimming and testing of these things. And one day the sort of the design seat became available and I sat down and started to, to learn to, to actually process these imaginary ideas into reality. And it's been a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. Sorry. So the 3D um, computer stuff you, you taught yourself or did you get any formal education in, in that kind of like engineering or design like that? It's all self-taught. It's self-taught. Um, fortunately, I'm very lucky that the ozone program, for instance, is something that I've grown up with. So for me to use it, it's very natural because uh, it's progressed from a very basic design program in the early days to what it is today. And because I've grown with that, I can use it very oh, quite effectively. Some of the other CAD programs, obviously, they're complicated and written by other people and such as SOLIDWORKS and these kind of things. I can use them, but nothing with nothing like the, the knowledge, because it really, it, when you know a program intimately, then you can get the most out of it. It might not have the most features, but if you can use the features it does have, then yeah, it can, it can work well for you. Okay, so I guess your earliest childhood memories that kind of got you into these kind of sports was flying with your dad on a hang glider, basically? Yeah, my, my father's always been an adventurer. He um, sort of inspired us to and gave us the, the freedom to go and explore and to push ourselves and to, to enjoy all these things. Yeah, he was a motorcyclist, so we also grew up with motorbikes. He'd take us hill walking and let us climb rocks and trees that most parents nowadays would be going, oh my God, it's too dangerous, don't let them do that. And my parents were just, hey, yeah, you think you can climb to the top of there? Let's, let's see you climb to the top of there. It was just encouragement all the time, which was, it's uh, a very positive way to bring a child up, I think. A lot of things I hear today are where parents it's that it's the parents' fear that's, that holds the kids back. The kids have got tons of skills and they're ready to learn skills, but the parents are afraid. So they don't really let the parents, uh, they don't let the kids do what the kids should be doing, which is climbing trees and rocks. And occasionally you might fall off and break an arm, but hey, guess what? It's good learning. So they never tried to hold you back from trying crazy things. I don't think of them as crazy. I think of them as normal. I consider the people <laughs> that don't do these things crazy because holy... You're here on this planet for some great experiences in a very short time. And with what I know is available to us in sensory stimulation, I want to try all these things and do all these things because there's, there's a beauty and uh, an expression in all of them. And so why wouldn't I want to do all of them? So I pretty much do all of them. <laughs> That's awesome. So I guess your background was like, I guess, first hand gliders and then paragliders and then when did you first start getting into kiting? How did you even, like, how did you hear about it first? And how did you get into that, the, the kiting? We'd actually, uh, we'd just started Ozone back in, this was the first, at uh, the very beginning of Ozone. It was me and two friends and we started it 
uh, as a paragliding company. And so we were fully ensconced in the, in the paragliding world at that time. And basically kite surfing had just started, but I was a snow sport man at, the, at this particular juncture in my life. I was flying in the summers and snow sports in the winter, heavily into snowboarding and skiing. And um, of course, because I like to do everything. <laughs> the, what, what actually attracted me was snow kiting. I saw this first image in a magazine of snow kiting. And literally the following weekend, I was chasing snow kiting because it was just, oh my God, whatever that is, I need to do it because how incredible in the mountains with a kite, I could see flying already. I could see uh, skiing and snowboarding. These three passions of mine all mixed together. I'm just like, oh my God, I got to get up there and do that. So pretty much the following weekend, myself and Matt Taggart, we were in the car driving up to this place that we knew you could snow kite. And we had uh, literally two days on four-line handle kites and four-line handle kites. And yeah. we went back to the office on Monday morning. And when you've got people that were buzzing like we were, there was no chance that our partners could do anything apart from say, okay, well, let's try snow kiting because me and Matt were just fully infused and yeah, we wanted to make snow kites. So we set about making snow kites. And after a few years of snow kiting, uh, mainly because we wanted to wait until the patent that uh, Bruno uh, Legano had finished because we didn't want to step on anybody's toes. We couldn't afford to get into the business at that time. We're just a, a fresh paragliding business and all the uh, constraints of a new business, normally financial. Yes, we couldn't afford to pay the patent. So we just said, oh, let's just wait. We're not in a hurry. We're enjoying snow kiting. And then the patent ran out and we decided it was time to take a foray into the water as well. And so then I, in a roundabout way, I've ended up enjoying now all these sensations in the water, which is fantastic. Yeah. I guess when you started Ozone, that was before there was even like the inflatable leading edge kites and all that kind of stuff. It was just Ram Air wings or, yeah. yeah. So that was the very early days. And that it was you and a friend who started Ozone? Yes, it was me and two friends. We started the kite department later. That's when Matt came in. But in the beginning, yes, it was, we were, one of them was the British team manager for the British paragliding team. Then there was myself and I was on the paragliding team. And my other friend, Dave, he worked for Airwave paragliders back in the day. They were, they were quite a big brand and or a big manufacturer and yeah we just decided to get together and do our own thing because you always think you can do better than the people that you're working for so we set out to uh, to have a go at doing that because uh, maybe there was a little bit of dissatisfaction in that it's a long time ago now and it's a lot of water under the bridge yeah and by the way we have a really bad thunderstorm here right now and there's like rain just pouring down and it's probably i don't know if you can hear it in the background but it's really raining pretty loud right now here and thunder and oh. everything but no worries but and then so this was all like you i guess you grew up in in raglan as well or and you're still no, no. In, or where do you grow up in in these was it no, I'm actually, I'm, I'm an Englishman, and uh, oh. I, I came from Yorkshire, a place called Leeds, which is a very beautiful part of the country, on the very few days that the sun does shine. 
Okay. And then what brought you to New Zealand? Oh, it's been a long trip. I guess what happened was my sort of international hang gliding and paragliding career took me all over the world. I've ended up living for quite a few years in Germany, quite a lot of years in France, the States, Spain, Dominican Republic. Uh, and, and then I always had this idea that I, I needed to go and spend time in New Zealand because of the small population. There's only 5 million. And yeah. so I decided this 15 years ago. And uh, here we are. I made the decision to go to New Zealand. I have left in between, but I've left only for work. But now it's been almost 13 years I've been in, in, basically in Raglan. And it's a great place. It, it's facilitated some amazing aspects of my life. Yeah, Raglan is really a beautiful spot. Yeah, we visited there a couple of years ago. And yeah, it's just a, a beautiful place. So I can understand why you settled there. And then Ozone is based, where's the headquarters of Ozone? Or is, is there a headquarters? There is a headquarters. There, there's a couple of them. The sort of kite surfing department is in Spain, in, near Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And the paragliding department is in France, near Nice. And then for some reason, because I came here, the design department for the kites is in New Zealand. So uh, also Matt, the owner, or one of the owners lives here in Raglan. We've got a great test rider, Torin Bright, who lives nearby as well. And if we need help, everybody wants to come to New Zealand for a holiday. So we only have to put the word out. Hey, if anybody wants a bit of testing time down in New Zealand, normally there's somebody to come along. So yeah, it makes life pretty easy. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and then I guess you're also, I, I guess you're the head designer for Ozone, but you also design for Armstrong, right? For Arm, Army Armstrong and Armstrong foils. You do all their foil designs and the wings as well? or No, not at, not at all. Oh. I'm a partner in the business. Obviously, he's okay. from New Zealand. I met Army. He's an infectious character. He's uh, okay. in a really great spirit. And at that particular moment, he uh, I've known him for five years before this, but so five, ten years ago, I've known him for about 10, 12 years. And then about five or six years ago, when he started the foil business, he needed a little bit of uh, financial help. So I got involved helping him financially and the business got kickstarted and it was working, but it was a, a massive strain on him because we you know working between here and China and also being new to all this kind of business, it was uh, pretty difficult. So uh, I set around, I set about finding some other partners and we all partnered up and that was how Armstrong really came to life. But in terms of design and development, I just help Army with the testing. I give him some ideas on what uh, I work with, which profiles we might use on some foils, but I don't do anything apart from that. The, the A-wing is all Army. The actual, the true design is all, he's the guy who's, I'm not plugged into the water. He's plugged into the water. I'm plugged in more to the air. So I, see. I, I stick to what I do. For sure, there's theory that crosses both, but my sensitivity, or I believe my sensitivity for design is in flying things because I, I just, I feel that I, I have just a better connection for that. Once we go into the water, 
just like I can jump on all kinds of hang gliders and paragliders and kites and feel what I want to feel, we can do the same thing with all kinds of foils. And if I go testing with Army with the foils, he's testing for the high performance guy and I'm testing for the kind of the average Joe because I just don't have those super skills that all these true watermen have. You know, I'm just uh, I'm just a wannabe. You're born in the air. Like you said, that was your early childhood experience flying. That's probably in your being. So that makes sense. So Okay. Okay, well, and Army, the, the funny thing with Army is that he's grown up on boats and sailing around the world with his father and right. just has absolutely that connection. So it's the, the similarities are crazy, but it's just with different mediums. Yeah, a different medium. Neither, neither of us are mathematicians or scientists. We're all, which is something I always like to remind people because that some people are surprised that we've, neither of us have, have had any sort of formal education in this. But right. What we have to understand is that mathematics and science are only explanations of nature. Some people are just plugged into nature and they don't need the mathematics and the science to be able to find the right answers. The, the math, mathematics and science are there so that we can try and have a broad spectrum of understanding of how something actually happens or why something happens. But it, it's only a language. It doesn't mean it's actually better than actually being connected. And someone like me, I just say that he's plugged in because you watch the, you know, last weekend, for instance, we went testing some foils, um, just towing into some waves. And Army can jump from the very most high aspect wing with the fastest tail on with the most shims in the back so that the whole thing is as fast as possible. And he can just get straight on that, ride it, come back, change the whole rig down to something like something midway with a slower tail on and no shims in the back and just an HS front wing or something and ride it incredibly the second he stands on it. I crash both both of them for a couple of waves until I finally tune in and then I can be like, whoa, yeah, I got it, but I don't really feel comfortable. So I'm the average guy tester and I'm just the guy at the top because you obviously need a, uh, a sounding board because it's very easy to get carried away with performance. But I always feel like, hey, man, just don't leave me behind. But it is so true what you said about the science part aspect of it, because you can't really, there's so many things that you think in theory they should work, but then when you try it, it doesn't work. So it's all about the feel and testing and R&D. That's you, you can't really predict how something's going to work until you try it, it seems like, in, yeah. in these sports. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And yeah, so the, it's more about the background of understanding what is actually involved in the sport than the theoretical part is really the secondary. Or afterwards, you can explain it maybe with the science, but why? I think what's also important is that everybody only goes home with a feeling, right? That feeling isn't tangible in it's only tangible through yourself and through expression you don't put that feeling into maths and science do you to go home and say honey i had this amazing day i i, I released the power of this wave and at 2.5 uh, tons of uh, volume just behind me i managed to you know you're just like that, yeah. that's not what you do you go home and say wow it was amazing the feeling out there was insane so you're yeah. taking a feeling home 
So you don't have to break it into science. Oh, it doesn't have to be developed from science. I just have the testing, for example, whether I'm testing a, a paraglider or a wing or a kite or a foils, I'm only testing the feeling. It's what is the sensation that this thing is giving me? Is it easy to, to find it? Is it smooth? Is it progressive? You know, is it forgiving? You know, am I thinking too much to try and get the power out of this thing? Or is the handling slow? Those are the things that are actually the relevant things. And for me, when something isn't working, then in my mind, I'm drawing this picture of what I've built. And then I'm trying to think, okay, so why is that not working? Why is it not doing that? And go back home and look at the computer. And when I say look at the computer, I just study the drawing of the, the 3D image rendering of it. And yeah. I understand, okay, so it wasn't doing this so. Maybe if I do that, it'll give me that result that I'm looking for, you know, if it's better handling or whatever. But it's all through just feeling that. I can't plug in some mathematical formula to say, give me better handling, you know? Right. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's only imagination. So it's all trial and error, right? So yeah, and also, it's imagination. Yeah. Also, just I always tell people like for stand-up paddling or all those sports where balance is involved and things like that, you can't really use your mind to, your mind isn't fast enough yet. It's almost like your nervous system has to take care of those adjustments. And if you try to think about it, it's, it's just too slow. You have to have that confidence that your body will automatically regulate it. And then just, it's really too, too, it happens too fast for your mind to think about it almost. Yeah. yeah to, certainly to be able to analyze it. Okay. So tell us how you got into making um, the wings, like how, why did Ozone decide to make a, a wing, wing or whatever the, you yeah, want to call it. A, this is a great uh, scenario because, because I was getting into the, or in the foil business with army and i was very sup orientated that you know i really enjoy sub foiling it's it, I, I still love sub foiling more than going towing into the, the bigger stuff or whatever i just really love catching waves on the sub and then i saw one of the slingshot wings and i suddenly thought with a guy riding it uh, with riding a sub with a foil and the wing and i just thought you know that actually is a really good way to get lots of time on the foil and because I was subfoiling, I just wanted more time on the foil because I wasn't that good at the time. I was crashing way more than I wanted to be. So I just, yeah, that's the way. And literally went to the guys in the office and said, I think we should make a wing. And a couple of days later, and literally it just all happened at the same time. Kai, Kai Lenny had just started riding Ozone um, Rio's. And he just randomly sent me an email out of the blue saying, hey, I don't suppose you're going to make any of those wings, are you? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just so happens we are. It was a, a good little nudge as well because we were going to do it, but it's definitely a little bit of an incentive having the idea that Kai wants one as well. So I'm, I'm not the only guy here with my hand up saying we should be doing this. And <laughs> um, yeah, it started from that. Obviously, I can only... We've just launched the V2, and uh, the V1, I can just say, is uh, it, it was a reaction to something starting, and that was my reaction to this thing starting. We are in business. At some point, we have to put out a product, and I was very happy with it at the time because it did what we wanted it to do, and 
it's been relatively successful and people enjoy it. But I can definitely say that the V2, because there's been more time, is much more refined and, yeah, just has a more forgiving character, much more forgiving characteristic than the V1. But, you know, it was a new sport and everybody was just, hey, this is what I got. Hey, this is what I got. So, and it was nice because there, there was quite a few different types of designs out there and development doesn't just happen in one person's mind. It happens through seeing what other people are doing and, all oh, right, okay, well, maybe I should try that and this. So now we, we understand the pros and the cons of the boom, having a boom, yes, and not having a boom, and lots of other little things, bits and pieces. The slingshot had the inflated trailing edge. It was an interesting concept. It probably isn't uh, viable in terms of continuation at the moment, but maybe we'll come back later. But, yeah, so you got to see all these new ideas and people throwing at it what they had. And now we get to refine the ideas and hopefully make them better and better so that the sport becomes easier and more fun and uh, more accessible. It's pretty amazing that you had Kai Lenny as a test pilot from the beginning. That That's pretty awesome. So tell so let's talk a little bit about that V2. The It looks pretty similar. Like visually, the design didn't doesn't look like it changed a lot, but what are the things that you would find on, on this V2 version of it? Okay, the first thing that we're looking for was a better balance in the hands. The V1, I felt that you had to pull the, the back handle too hard all the time to get the power out of it, and there wasn't enough power in the front hand. And what I would like is more power in the front hand, and as you pull the back on, that power increases on the backhand to match the front hand, so you end up with a balanced power field. Uh, so we spent a lot of time on this, working out that to get that balanced power field. A lot of times, moving the handles up and down just to, to get exactly the feeling that's required. The next thing we did was so, so when you sorry when you're flying it, which handle do you use the most, or what? I guess it depends on the size of the wing too, but is it designed to, so you would use mostly the middle back handle or the back back handle? Or? Just to, I, there are different theories and uh, different styles and understandings. Our kites are predominantly built around the way that I like to stand on our wings. And I like a wide arm stance. I find it yeah. much more uh, controllable in many ways, the stance. So, Predominantly, I'm using the V, the end of the V uh, handle at the front, and I'm always on the back handle unless it's blowing. But pretty much, our wings are designed around. Uh, obviously, there's more. There's more, the most power is delivered when you're on the back handle, but our wings are designed around either on the front handle or in the V, and then on the very back handle is the most power. Once it starts getting really windy and you're feeling like you've got too much, then you can move in one. But that's where the, the big power is. And okay, it's, a, it's quite a wide stance, but if you want to balance well, normally it's good to have your arms out. Most people don't balance very well with their arms in. So that's another reason why they have the arms out. Okay. I'm putting on the headphones because it's so noisy here with the rain. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a real downpour here. Crazy. I hope it doesn't flood. We're right at the close close to the water, so we I guess this garage flooded before, so hopefully it doesn't get to that point. But <laughs> we had like it's a flashlight warning, so yeah, it's coming down. 
But yeah, like I find myself using mostly the back handle myself as well. Just feel I, I get more power from having my hand all the way back. Okay. And then you added windows to it, looks like. Some more we Spanish. added what, sorry? Oh, win windows. Looks like you added yes. windows. You didn't, the original ones didn't have windows. We actually, we have some on order and they're going to have like our little Blue Planet logo on it. So yes. I think that's super cool that you're, you um, let people put on their own logos on your, on the ozone wings. And then right. I have to say too, the, the way you have your factory set up and the ordering system is because we're also dealers, obviously we sell the ozone and we, we sell Armstrong as well at our shop, but just being able to go online and, and place the order and then see what's happening with the order, make the payment. And then, and it's, it's just a very nice system and very clear about how long it's going to take and when you're going to get it and stuff like that, which unfortunately is not the case with most of the other brands. So that's well, something we're, we're doing our best. And uh, those guys have, have done an amazing job with the uh, production facility. And just so that, you know, the listeners can understand, please, with the ozone wings, pay attention to the detail that is taken in the manufacturing of these things, because it, 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 it's actually our factory that we set up 20 years ago now in Vietnam. It's literally like a massive extended family. We look after our workers very well. We give them uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if there's overtime, which they really enjoy, we feed them again. We have health care. We pay above the minimum or the average wage. We try and, and people say we're a little bit expensive. Yes, we are a little bit expensive because we don't produce in China and we have our own factory and we're paying our workers more than is normal. But the reason for this is the quality that they produce for us because we look after them and we have great systems and they give us their best work. And literally, if you look at the, the, the stitching, it's all straight. It's the, the, the factories in Vietnam. In Ho Chi Minh. Um, yeah, and so, do you, do you and go there often? Do you, do, you, do you travel to the factory often? Obviously not last year, but usually do you go, go there regularly or? Yes, yes. It's important that the development and the designers spend time in that. Sometimes for both parties, it's good to see the difficulties in, some, in the um, manufacturing and construction of these things because it's very easy to get carried away with complexity, but someone has to make the stuff and then someone has to make the stuff within a time schedule because you know we can produce the craziest things in the world, but they're gonna cost an absolute fortune because there's so much time an effort into the production that nobody will want to buy them or pay for them. So everything has to be understood. So sometimes you can go there and just see a process that they're struggling with and literally modify the design so that the the, the foot of the sewing machine just has a 10 mil clearance next to a seam so that it can run free instead of them having to stop, lift over, put down again. And so it's very small things, but we, we have paid massive attention to detail in manufacturing and construction. And I hope that listeners and viewers can, can see that care that is taken. Yeah. I just had an interview too with Annie Reichert, who's one of your team writers. And yeah, she said one of the nice features too was that there's two valves, so you, um, it's easier to deflate the strut now. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed yes. like... A lot of guys here on Oahu had problems with the, the strut bladder folding in and then popping. So what, what did you do to fix that issue? It's basically now tethered on the inside. That's why the zip is up front. 
So it's easy to get in there. And uh, yes, the, the board now is tethered. So there's so it has little strings attached to the end of the end of the bladder to the strut. You can see that we've now got a straight strut with a baffle rib in the center, whereas the previous model had the strut running all the way up uh, and down along the sail to the uh, trailing edge. The reason we've done this is to lower the center of gravity, because obviously when the strut is high, then it keeps the weight up high, which isn't really ideal. And so now we've brought it down lower, and that makes the wind sit more stable, because uh, the center of gravity is now lower. It and seems it also luffs, it luffs better when you have that little panel, because it just allows the wing to flutter easier, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, the other thing we've done is we've brought the tips further forward so they're not interfering with the water as much when you start pumping because definitely, again, you know, the V1 was, was the wing was, we did that we had and in the beginning we weren't doing that much pumping anyway because we, were, we needed 25 knots to get going because we didn't even know how to pump. As we got better uh, and needing to ride in lighter winds, the tips got in the way of the V1. So they've been shortened by about uh, 20, 250 millimeters on the four meter. So it's quite a big difference. And that way you've got much more without tip interference with the water. Oh, okay. That's nice. Another thing I noticed is like your, the, your window placement is pretty similar to the Armstrong wings. And what I've heard people say is that it's hard to see through the window because the, the top window is too high to look through and the bottom window is covered by the strut. So I don't know, what made you place the windows right there? Is that from feedback or I'm just curious? The, the reason the windows are there is that personally, I believe it's the best place for them to be in, in terms of how I would like the thing to be structured. For those listening, we just got interrupted by a power app. Took a while to get get it back up again. What were you we, talking about? We were just talking about we were just talking about the windows. Yeah, and I did. I, I was just explaining how making an excuse. I'm not quite sure which it was. The reason the windows are where they are is first, you do have the ability to see. That's the most important thing. You might have to move the wing to be able to see. Yes, okay, I, I agree. But what I didn't want to do was put it in the next panel out because that panel is too far out. And so the reason it doesn't cross a panel is because I don't like to have things like different materials in a panel crossing because mm -hmm. when they're sewn together, then you have different stretch characteristics. And in, especially in seams, it's better to not have different stretch characteristics because sure. somewhere that look could, because in every seam, obviously there's more load. And at some point, if there's different stretch characteristics, it's not going to want to, to live next to each other properly throughout, it, throughout its whole life. So that's why the window can't be a bit further up or because it either needs to be in the next panel, which is too high, or it's where it is. And like I say, yeah. it only takes a quick, yeah, I'm good, or yeah, I'm right. good. And yeah, the yeah. fact is that you can. Without a window, you can't. So I'm, right. I'm, a, I'm a total advocate of the window since the sport is getting bigger. People need to be able to see, especially on the water when you're with kite surfers, windsurf, all these different craft now that are on the water, they all 
go upwind at very different random angles compared to each other. So you need to be able to see what's happening when and where on a regular basis. But if you have to look for it, then look for it. It's still your job to be aware of who's around you and yeah. okay, the window place, but it's still there. Just move your hands 10 centimeters and you can see plenty. And then I guess another concern with the windows is that you want to be able to, you don't want to crease them right when you're rolling it up. And so I guess it's probably easier to roll it up without creasing it when it's right next to the strut than when it's in the middle of well, the window. Yeah. It doesn't matter where it is. You, can, you can't crease that stuff. But we got the special space age stuff. Oh, okay. So it's not a concern. No, it's not cool. a concern at all. Yeah. Uh, we've had our windows in uh, minus 25 degree conditions in Norway, and we've been using them in hot desert conditions, no problem. So, is, Are these yeah, pictures okay. taken in Raglan, or where, is, where are these waves here? Uh, these waves are in Fuerteventura. Oh, Fuerteventura, okay. Yeah, you, yeah I guess Ozone is a pretty clo global company, huh? Well, the good thing is the Spanish guys where the, where the main sort of part of the, the hub of the uh, kite surfing department is, it's very easy to go to Fuerteventura or the Canary Islands under the Spanish flag. So it's just a very cheap flight. So you can probably get flights for 50 bucks. Right. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. All right. So oh, oh. basically yeah. the advantages of the new wing it are that handles be handle placements better the tips are less likely to catch the, is the leading edge diameter change at all or it has on the four meter it's gone slightly bigger but on the uh, other sizes it's uh, virtually the same the other thing is uh, with that baffle in the the baffle rib down the center it's allowed us to increase the thickness of the profile so there's a little more there's more power and it's easier to access that power. The back handle is very, what's the word? Responsive in increasing the power because we've got a, quite a high camber profile. This is what you call the baffle here. Yeah? Yes, that's the baffle. It's one of those things that no, so we does haven't it, made up. Does it have a deeper profile? Did you change the, the curve of the profile yes. at all? Change, yeah, so yeah. it's deeper in the front? Deeper in the front than the old one. And uh, okay. that's another reason why it has more power. But uh, the main things that you're going to notice when you fly it is it's much more stable. You just get on it and it feels uh, plush is the best way to describe it. It's just plush. You just kind of, oh, yeah, this is very effortless, nice progression on the power. You, you will notice how the front hand is loaded quite nicely. For instance, on the V1, I was always getting my my lats aching like crazy on on the backhand side you just oh my god because you're just pulling the whole time in and mm -hmm. uh, now with the front hand being more balanced and the backhand it's just I'm, I'm much more relaxed so it, it's more comfortable to ride it's more stable when you're just surfing on the front wing the v1 had a tendency to flip over slightly regularly the v2 it just sits there and doesn't do anything it's uh, it's making generally it just makes everything more comfortable and more, it's more user friendly mm -hmm. is the weight similar about the same or the the weight of the wings it's about the same as the uh, v1 i or? think it's 
Oh, uh, to tell the truth, I, I can't tell you the weight because uh, it'll, it's probably on the website, but mm-hmm. I'm not really much of a numbers man. But it will mm-hmm. have been weighed. Uh, I can only imagine that with the window material compared, the new handles are a bit lighter. We're probably looking at virtually the same weight. So it's quite a lightweight. Certainly with the CG, with that strut, it automatically feels in the air lighter because it just sits there. If you yeah. just get it up in a bit of, oh my God, you know, you just, it just flies itself kind of thing. So mm. it, it feels lighter, but uh, I think it's actual manufacturing weight is very similar. Okay. Very cool. All right. Do you, can you talk a little bit about the new Armstrong A plus system? Do you know much about that or have were you involved with that, with the work on that? You were? Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to share some pictures of that. And this, I guess when the time I'm posting this interview that Armstrong will have this up on their website. And so the new there, they just announced it to the dealers, but this is the A plus system. So they made some changes to the, the, as far as I can tell, the fuselage has these barrel nuts that go through the fuselage kind of horizontally right or why why don't you explain the differences (laughs) yeah well it's uh you're starting with the right thing Uh, the first thing that everyone should understand is that um everything that we currently have is compatible with the a plus system so every all the wings you've got it's not a problem they all fit they all work it's all good to go the a plus system as you can see here in this what in this diagram that you have up now uh, in the photo you have up now you can see now that there's a barrel nut on the top of the front wing. So right. if you go to the top, yeah, exactly there. So that barrel nut is now going through top to bottom, which just locks the front wing on. And then you've got the barrel nut on the side of, yeah. So that's that one exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the side of the fuselage and we've got one going in horizontally. Uh, yes, just exactly, right. side of the mouse, mm-hmm. sorry. So we've got yep. one going in horizontally that goes all the way through the fuselage and onto the other side. So basically, these are opposing forces that they tighten themselves together and squash whatever's in between just that little bit more. And as you can see with this new high aspect wing, the HA1125, uh, this has got an aspect of 9.8 to 1, which is a very high aspect wing. These wings have, due to their enormous span and the fact that they are very powerful for their size. They have massive forces being created. We needed to develop a system that would cope long-term with those forces. Now, what I can just tell you is you can stick that wing straight on the rig that you have with no A-plus, without the A-plus fuselage, and it will work and it'll probably be fine. But over a long period of time, you might notice that there's a bit of wear between the fuselage and the mast because these leverage loads, when they just keep working, effectively it's like super fine grit sandpaper. Over a very long period of time, we'll start to rub each other and they'll make a little bit of slack in the thing. So that's why we've come up with the A-plus system, just to minimize that micro movement so that we're not wearing out the fuselage or the mast. But as I said, you can still use that wing tomorrow on any rig that is currently out there. 
Yeah, and then they also offer a um, kind of a retrofit where you can actually a kit where you can basically it, it has a jig and you can drill out that hole yourself and add the nut and screw basically to an older or yes. an existing Armstrong mast and fuselage. So yeah, that's kind but of cool. You that can't, you can't, sorry, just to sorry. make to make one thing clear. Yeah, the, the heart at the heart of the A plus system is the fuselage, and the reason for that is because. The, the barrel nut that goes through the mast and then through the fuselage has to go through the titanium. And this is a new hole. So you won't be able to have this barrel nut in on, if you have the old system because the fuselage has a solid titanium and you can't drill that through the center of it. So uh. the key thing for the whole thing is the fuselage. If you wanted to upgrade, you can buy a new fuselage and then you can redrill the mast with the, oh, you can drill the mast to put in the barrel nut across the mast and you can drill all your front wings to have your front wing drill so you can put the barrel nut at the front. So basically that's why even, but you can still ride with everything you've got, just putting new wings on. You just won't have the barrel nut in the mast and in the front wing. Right. Um, so yeah so but basically the the older fuselage you cannot you you can't add those barrel nuts on an old fuselage because basically you're saying because you can't drill through the titanium rod in the middle is that the issue yes okay. you can't you can't drill through the titanium rod and tap it it takes ah, uh, interesting yeah yeah so there's still no problem in right in, you know riding it without it's just yeah. that over time that is going to get sloppy because of the fact that uh oh, not sloppy but there is going to be some play in there because there are massive forces with those super high aspect wings. Sure. And, and that's the in foiling. You don't want any play between the mast and the fuselage and the front wing, especially you don't, if there's any kind of looseness that makes the whole thing feel sloppy. Like you say, it's, you said, you want that to be super rigid and stiff. So I guess the other difference is the tail wing is different as well. Yeah. Instead of having those titanium 3d printed um, shims, you're using plastic shims now, right? Yes. Now the tail wing can go directly onto the fuselage. All existing tail wings can go directly onto the fuselage as well. Although the new A-plus system tail wings have just been slightly modified to, to basically fit it more elegantly. But all the stuff you've got now works, so there's no worries there. And the reason we did this was it's just easier to have a solid-fitting with the mast and the and the tail wing, and just have the the small shim adjustment if required, because the titanium trim fairings, although they were great, they were quite expensive. Whereas right. we're giving these we're giving these things away free. Yeah, that was one of the things. Like like what, at retail, I think they're like seventy dollars or something for one shim. So that's definitely not cheap. So yeah, I guess these ones cost a lot less to manufacture. I'm sure. Yeah, uh, we're very, look, the fact of the matter is that uh, the Armstrong ethos and philosophy is we basically want the best stuff that we can have to ride because we're, we're now of the age that we've, we've been through enough sports and used enough average and crappy equipment and some very good equipment too, to know that uh, it's much nicer to have really good equipment. So yes, we, we may be are slightly expensive, but that's because we're not really compromising because we don't want to compromise because we've got to go out there and ride it. And I'm out there for the best feelings I can possibly get rather than 
something that will do. That, that's why we had the titanium ship bearing because at the time, that's what we thought was the best thing. Okay, we've now learned that there's another way of doing it and it's simpler and it's cheaper. If we can, anything that we can make cheaper, then we, 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 can, we will because obviously it's good for the customer in the end. Yeah, as long as it doesn't affect the performance. Yeah, I've noticed definitely with foilers, once you get addicted to the feeling of foiling, then price becomes less of an issue. For beginners, they always worried about price, but then once people get hooked, then I guess they're willing to pay for the drugs. <laughs> it's yeah. like, uh, in start, economics, you, you call it price insensitive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> once you start mainline foiling, you, you don't care about the price. You just want the next hit. Probably like start... Yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but definitely the case that people just want to get whatever is the best thing they can get. But tell us about this new wing, the HS1125. It's, I guess, the first really super high aspect wing that Armstrong make, made, right? Is that the case? Yes, I think it's the highest aspect wing available on the market. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about this, but uh, yeah. Well, basically, we've been in the in the throes of making this for a year and a half. The development is, of these kind of things is very difficult and um, time-consuming because you're really looking for definite progress as such. And so, yes, this has been the result, and it really is quite interesting. It, if you're if you're winging it, okay. Obviously, with the big span you're going to lose some reactiveness, but you're going to be very surprised at how quickly this thing can turn. It still turns pretty damn good. If the tips come out, again, we've been working on the section of the tip to stop the tips ventilating. So the tips can come out, nothing happens, you just carry on. The glide is amazing. So you're pumping and the timing that it takes, oh, put it this way, you, you don't even have to really contemplate your tacks. You just turn the thing upwind and slowly move your hands over and then bring it down and you're still gliding with loads of speed and super easy. All right, okay, great. Just gently take the wing again and fly off. It's, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's a, a great step in our progress. We're not going to talk about the rest of the market because the rest of the market is whatever the rest of the market is. But uh, for us, it's certainly amazing and uh, we're all enjoying it. And, when I first saw it, I just thought, oh, there's no way I can ride that. It's just, it's too out there. And now I'm riding it all the time. I just love it. This is a pretty small surface area, but like in terms of lift, obviously high aspect, you always get a little bit more lift than on a low aspect wing for the surface area. But compared to the other wings, what is it similar in lift to a 1250 or is it more like a 1550 or what would you compare it to in terms of the feel for the lift wise that's difficult i haven't compared it like that i normally yeah. compare the, the only limitation to a wing is getting up getting the thing foiling that's um, how, how much speed it takes to get it yeah because it's high aspect it doesn't have grunt but once you get it going it's got glide like you can't believe and and low so, drag yeah, low drag. So in that trade-off, yes, you lose the grunt at the bottom end, so you got to pump a little bit more or it needs a bit more wind to get going. But uh, once you're going, the speed is phenomenal. The, the glide is phenomenal. I'd say you've probably got the speed of the 850 with the glide of the 1850 or something, you know, but in a very different, you know, but a much faster glide. They, 
it's firstly I, I haven't tried other high or high aspect foils on the market, but from what from within what we do within the Armstrong range, it's something completely abstract because it does everything very differently. It's still an easy enough to use foil in the glide and the way it turns. It it does like you know turn well, but it, it's not like anything else. It's it's quite bizarre. But yeah. you know, I think you're going to see a lot of people. Maybe a little bit of an initial hesitation, but once they get going on it, there's certainly if you're on flat water. Oh my God, this is the wing. This is the wing. If you're wanting to ride waves. You can still cruise on waves with it, but it, it is a bit more technical and you don't have quite the maneuverability. But I was with Army just the other day and he was, yeah, he was railing the waves. I guess once people get good enough and used to it, then, you know, we'll be railing on everywhere. I find too, when, when you have a really high aspect wing with the wider wingspan, you just, if you have a longer mass that allows you to tip it over more. Or if the mass is too short in relation to the wingspan, then then the wing ends up breaching real easy, or the, the the tip comes out too easily, and then that makes it a little bit harder. But I think with a longer mass, you can go you can go wider on the wingspan as well. But uh, let's but talk I, about I the, think, the, the oh, sorry, sorry I, I, just yeah. to just to recap on that. It's a very good yeah. point. We have that wing is best used with an eighty-five mast or longer. For sure, you can use it with a seventy-two. But the wingspan is huge. The tips are going to be out quite a lot. Then the tips can breach and it's not a problem. But, you know, that's the, the trade-off with high aspect is that you are going to need a longer mass, really. So this tail wing, is this tail wing the same as this one? This one looks like it has like more V to it or something, yeah? Yeah, this is the one of this the one? new tail wings, the Flying V. And this is a little bit, this is inspired a little bit by Skyrama. And then because the America's Cup is going on, uh, oh, incidentally, the front foil, the, the HA1125, has been through the Team New Zealand computer, the, their design computer, to, to be analysed and uh, refined. The best guys in the world have actually been looking at that, had input in, in what it is. So it really is about as cutting edge as we can get right now. And it's the same with the tail. If you notice the tail and if you look at the, the foils that are on the America's Cup yachts at the moment, obviously they're all these. So Army is very good friends with the sailors. Jimmy Spittle and Pete are very good friends. They go towing together, they're foiling together, they're winging together, they're, they're, they're all involved. There's been a lot of, with this run-up to America's Cup, because you're, you're only seeing America's Cup now. But obviously, for us, it's been happening for a long time because it's happening in New Zealand. And New Zealand is a very sailing orientated place, country, because it has a lot of coastline. And uh, a lot of people live on the coast, so we're very water orientated. And we've also got a, a New Zealand has a big history in sailing. So that has affected how uh, our design at Armstrong has happened because of spending time with those guys and those guys being involved with us and it's all just played off on itself. So it's been fantastic. And the knowledge that those designers have is, you know, phenomenal. And the computer, the power they've got is something that you can only dream of. These are the, these are some of the most lucky people in the world throwing money at designing the best things they possibly can. So yeah, there were some very educated eyes uh, run over those foils. 
Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. I, I was looking for this somewhere. There's some pictures of Jimmy Spithill foiling and stuff like that, but I don't have them on my computer right now. I'll try to look it up. Yes. Yeah, but, um, uh, yeah. We've got yeah. a we've got a Jimmy and Pete head to head. Right, right. That's awesome. Isn't it? Isn't it fantastic as well that these super high high end athletes who and these guys are trained these guys are fit that they're not sat down uh, drinking champagne on the back of the boat going yeah yeah this is lovely these guys are, are highly trained athletes and it's just i find it phenomenal that in their free time they're they're running around chasing foiling because of the feeling they're on the wings they're doing downwinders they're towing it with the army over the east coast and the west coast it's just like yeah this is put it this way their job is sailing, but I, their passion really is foiling. It's just, it's <laughs> yeah. So for yourself personally, do you spend uh, most of the time on the water now on a wing foil board or do you still go sub foiling or what do you do the most when, when you get? Well, I'm in a very lucky position. I'm involved in everything, designing kites and wasps and, you know, so basically messing around on kites sort of 50% of the time and then I'm messing around uh, subfoiling 20% of the time and maybe uh, with the wing 30% of the time. Obviously yeah. my work and kites is still the majority of my work because we have a, a big range that always needs tending, but for sure uh, I'd love to to go for a wing or a, you do all of it. Subfoiling. Um, a couple of hours of that and then uh, get sat behind the computer for a while, wait till the wind comes up in the afternoon and then go for a kite. Or so, if new prototypes have arrived, then so, uh, obviously I'm intent on, on writing new prototypes, whether that's a right. or a kite. But otherwise, it's either work or a little bit of play. Yeah. For me, it, I just find like you were talking about it earlier too. Like when you get on the wing, if you have t- a two hour session, let's say if you're subfoiling, you might catch maybe five to 10 waves and maybe spend, you get 10 or 20 minutes on, on a, actually up on the foil. If, if you're really good, <laughs> that would be probably the max versus when you're winging, you can be up on the foil probably like 90% of the time. So in terms of that's why I think too, like when I started wing foiling, actually my foiling progressed a lot faster because I spent so much more time getting comfortable on the foil and all that kind of stuff. It's helped my stand-up foiling as well. But now I kind of, yeah, when I'm stand-up foiling, I feel like, oh man, it's I'm not getting enough time. Yeah. Yeah. But it it's all good fun. And and I, I just love riding waves too. And yeah, sometimes the wing gets in the way, but still it's like. My friend Derek says you have an Uber ride back out, like you, with the wing. It's like you, yeah, you got your Uber ride back out to the break, so you never have to paddle and stuff like that. So yeah. go ahead. I, I think that's why I like the wing quite a lot at the moment. I'm sure there'll be something else come along soon, or maybe not soon, but there'll be something else come along. But what I like with the wing is that you get so many, you get so much diversity with the foil on the wing, because I'm I can go supping. Then if there's a swell and do some downwinding um, with the wing and ride some waves or some bumps. And then if there's some real waves, then I can ride the waves with the wing. And if there's no way, just going around and messing around, just practicing your taps and jibes and some 360s and blah, blah. It's just, it's all very therapeutic and enjoyable. It doesn't matter. It's, oh man, look, oh, there's no waves. No problem. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great tool for a diverse sort of enjoyment. 
Yeah. And it also opens up the sport of foiling to pretty much the whole world as for before you had to have a wave or a certain type of wave, even for, for foiling. And now it's just like, yeah, all you need is some water and a little bit of wind and, and you have a huge wind range too. If you have a big wing, you can go in really light wind. And if you strong winds, you can yeah. still wing. But foiling again, for me now, I'm either riding the four meter or the three meter in whatever the wind is. I don't, you know, if, if it's strong, then I'll be on the three meter. But if it's light, I never go bigger than four meter. Huh. And I'm happy to change the wing under the water to have more fun riding. Than I, I always prefer to have a small one just for maneuverability and comfort. It's much nicer. You know, yeah. I'm not a big dude. But maybe the big guys feel happy with a five. But uh, the four's good, but the three's super nice as well. And I can normally pump up with three the same in the same strength wind as I can with the four if I just oh. go up with a size in four. So just I'd much prefer to ride it. Twelve fifty is my standard, but I'd much prefer to put a fifteen fifty on and stay with a three meter in my hand than compromise that. Because once this is small, you can do. You have to worry much less. So do, doing the attacks and jibes and tricks, and once you get on waves, it's just like yeah. Yeah, having a small wing just makes everything so much easier. But so when you on a four meter wing, what's the lightest wind? Would you say you can go out and with a fifteen fifty or on a and a four four oh, meter wing? I'm pretty uh, confident that I'm. Good in ten to twelve knots on a twelve fifty and a four meter one. Mm -hmm. oh, okay, it's, pretty, it's not pretty. pretty. The pumping up, but <laughs> yeah. like I'm some kind of epileptic fit. But uh, we get it going. Uh, and it's sometimes not, it's just waiting for that little gust too. I guess yeah. what what people when you start out, it, it seems like you need a lot more wind to get it going. But once you get good at popping up on the foil and maybe waiting a little bit for the right gust and and then quickly popping up. Once you're up on the foil, it's so efficient that you really, yeah, it's almost like you you could almost go down half to half the size once you're up on the foil, right? Like once you get it going and you have that apparent wind coming at you. Yeah, exactly. When you think how far it's come in such a short time, both the, the foil development and the foil development isn't happening just because of the wings, but now, the, the wings are definitely helping for the development because it's giving us another opportunity that we weren't picking up before. Just in a year and a half, we've, we've come so far with some nice foil wings now and the, the uh, hand wings are getting better. It's just, it's only going to get easier and more fun in the future. So do you have, like you were saying, there's probably going to be an, another thing coming in the future. Do you have any thing any ideas or crazy ideas about what could be next or things you want to try or future well, I, technologies you're playing around with i've got a feeling the advent of uh, the electric uh, battery age and the power for the electric power age is we're, we're scratching the surface now with, with the foil boards but i can imagine a little electric power pack either on your back or um, something where it's more of a fan rather than just like a, a paramotor, but electric, it's waterproof. Uh, a bit like the diving things that they use underwater, but above water. And it's just a fan where you go out there and, and you, you just- Just to accelerate up on top of the foil, yeah. yeah. To get out. And then the wings are so performant that you can just 
some little pumps every now and then, go out, catch some waves, well, who knows? Yeah, yeah, put it this yeah. way, um, the, the human imagination can take us anywhere. You know, yeah. it's just, uh, it's a case of a little bit of time and effort. So I'm sure we're going to see some things. Yeah, I was wondering too, if there could be like a combination between kind of winging and kiting, like where you have some short lines that you can like kind of let the wing fly a little bit higher. I mean, my, my friend Derek actually does that. He has this long line on his wing and then he just lets go and holds it by, by the line and it's higher up in the air and he gets, you know, and light wind that helps because you get a little bit more wind once the wing oh, is up wow. higher, right? Yeah, more power. And yeah, no worries. Oh, your batteries. Yeah, battery technology is not quite there yet, no? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, what, what else do you want to talk about? Any Anything else you, you want to oh, uh, get into? I'm not really... Well, I, honestly, Rob, I think we've covered a lot. It was good. Uh, we sure did. Yeah, I think we're, we're about there. But like I say, it was a total pleasure being on, and I hope that uh, it brings some form of entertainment and maybe... Uh, yes, ent- yeah, entertainment's the best thing to be you know, how people that are addicted to foiling, they'll spend the money to get the best th- things that they want. But also in terms of the consuming information, like I'm always surprised how many people actually listen to these interviews and listen to the very end. But especially all this stuff you talked about is super interesting. I'm really interested in it. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people who are going to eat it up. Yeah, I, I certainly don't. I'm uh parting is my understanding and my feelings so uh, and I, yeah. I, I totally understand everybody's different some people like this some people like that i've got no problem we're just doing what we can do and enjoying what we can enjoy if you're not an expert i don't know who is but i guess none, none of us are experts so yeah if people like if people like the things uh, with the feelings that we create then that's fantastic, you know, it's, uh, yeah. because that's what it's about, really. We're, we're just facilitators and we're just sharing a, a common uh, feeling and so people that are feeling, then fantastic. And people that like uh, another brand's feeling, no problem, don't enjoy it. Just the main thing is, is people are out there experiencing, you know, and enjoying sport and, yeah. uh, and life and the nature. Yeah, actually, there's a couple more questions I wanted to ask you. I almost forgot. So usually I ask all my guests, who should I interview next? Who do you think would be good to get on the show and talk about wing foiling? Unfortunately, I think I'm going to say someone who's probably difficult to get on the show, but I think uh, it'd be interesting to know what Kai thinks. Kai, Kai Lenny? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mainly because I'm not. In, I'm impressed with this guy, not because I have, oh, he was chosen to ride some ozone. By the by, I'm impressed with the guy because, God, man, he can cross over all these sports. And just like I was talking earlier with how difficult I find it just to cross over between some foil setups that are messing around with. But this guy can go pretty much next level on everything all the time. He obviously loves his winging because he took one out to Jaws. Yeah, some of that footage, he's just on a regular foil board. But it's like he catches air and it's, he's floating down the face, almost like a pelican flying along the front of the wave, just on the updraft of the wave. It's almost, it's almost like paragliding. Uh, what he's doing, it looks like he's just hanging in the air for a long time. Email, I'm not pretending, although I'm sure we're friends. But so he told me by email, he's, he's expressed, he expressed it, he wants a wing to be able to fly down jaws. And of course, my background in flying, 
I can see straight away. And obviously with now what I do in the surf, I know how the, the wave advancing through the water just creates its own updraft. And as yeah. soon as you said it, I'm just thinking, God, yeah, it's possible. And so we are working on a, a special way for him to do that. You can't hold a good man down and the guy want, wants to do it now. So the prototype <laughs> he was on, I didn't really think was ready for that kind of thing, but he decided it was. Oh, that's cool. So you're actually working on a kind of a glider wing that can basically float in that updraft that's coming up the face of the wave and just... I wouldn't say... <laughs> At the, at the moment, we're just working on a special wing. For, oh, a special wing. We're just working on a wing for him to satisfy what he would like to try and do. So okay. uh, I don't know if that's a wing for anybody else or whatever. It's just look at what the guy can do. Let's if if we can facilitate him to do something kind of something else amazing, then let's do it. You know? Right? Yeah, totally. That's good. Yeah. Okay. The other thing I want to talk a little bit about is just the whole pandemic and the whole situation in the world and how you've been dealing with it. And I know like in New Zealand, you guys have been probably one of the, one of the few countries where you're like, I guess, pretty much unaffected by it at this point, like you can just go out as normally and go shopping without a mask on and all that kind of stuff. But how has it affected your life and was there like, is there a silver lining to it? And how have you been dealing with it personally? Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the silver lining to it is, is that basically society, a human species is also like a muscle. And if you don't stress that muscle from time to time, it doesn't get stronger. The muscle is currently being stressed and Already we're beginning to show signs of strength and we were weak and we were vulnerable. And now we're beginning to understand that there's bigger things at play that include the uh, ecology of the planet and the potential for human existence to go forward is probably with a little bit more awareness than we were uh, displaying beforehand. So in that respect, yes, there is a silver lining for myself. Personally, I've been very lucky. I had to go to the States right in the middle of this thing, uh, which I didn't want to do, but I had to go to the States. Then I went to the Dominican Republic. Then I went to Spain. Then I went to the UK. <laughs> and um, I think I went somewhere else too. Uh, Germany. And then I finally came home and I managed to dodge COVID the whole way. Um, and I came back to a New Zealand where... Life is just carrying on totally as was, which is a blessing and fantastic. And uh, as I came here and just drove into town and saw people everywhere and restaurants full and people living normal life after the four-month trip that I'd had where nothing was normal, it was very um, galvanizing in my gratitude for being here in New Zealand because uh, with a small population it, it's relatively easy to, easy to control and at the same time it made me truly appreciate that, that there are people who are having massive discomfort and hardship because of this this event yeah I, I, I hope that it gets cleared up soon uh, and we can return to some form of normality, but I hope that normality is with a lot more awareness of, and gratitude for life. We take it all so for granted. 
um, that were also very selfish, including myself. And so if there's anything that opens our eyes to that, then I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I, I think just being able to connect with people like we are now over Zoom. I never used Zoom before before the pandemic, and now it's like normal. Everybody knows how to do it, and I can send someone a link, and we can talk like this and see each other and talk like we're sitting across from each other. So that's pretty cool. So when you came back to New Zealand from all the travel, how what was the procedure to go back? And I don't know, what, what is the procedure? I, I thought New Zealand was completely shut down that you couldn't travel back and forth. But You can only travel to New Zealand if you're a resident or a citizen. And when you came back, you had to go into a two-week quarantine. And it, it wasn't, it was relatively strict, but it wasn't terribly strict. And... Uh, you got tested twice, and if you were clear, then you were allowed out. And it seems to have worked quite well. But like I say, this is a big island where there's lots of satellite communities. There's only 5 million people. Everybody's relatively well educated. If you couldn't control it here, you couldn't control it anywhere. And um, although there's a lot of praise for the Prime Minister, she did do a, a relatively good job. But... Like I say, if you couldn't control that here, then, you know, you're pretty helpless because this is well, the ideal place for being able to control it. Hawaii is an even smaller island or islands, group of islands, even less population. And we weren't able to keep it out, you know, I mean, because we're so tourism dependent, they just waited too long to shut it down. But but I don't know, you can... Yeah. It's also like, it's a trade-off is how much economic damage is it worth to save those lives? It's a hard question. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, hard, it's a hard question, but the, the, the biggest problem is, is that I find the question disappointing. How much economic damage? We are so economically minded that we've lost really the true value to life because economics comes before and to a certain degree it has to, or it has to come in unison, but let's face it economics has been at the forefront of of the of modernized existence for let's say at least the last hundred years it's all about economics now and we forgot to nurture any of the requirements around nature that can help keep us fit recognize that we were over tourism again we were over tourisming everywhere and everything and it's not, we've actually found that it's not healthy. It's healthy for making some money, but at the same time, it's terribly unhealthy because there's people traveling on planes everywhere and basically all they're doing is consuming and leaving junk behind and blah, 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 blah. It's just like, okay. It's true, and destroying the places they're visiting too. The economical banner. How healthy is economics? Not very. So we need these things to push us and to make us progress forward. No, I totally agree with that. Yeah, especially the, just the environmental impact that we're having on the earth obviously like the global warming and stuff that all the concern about that kind of took a backseat to you know let's control this pandemic and at any cost but i guess one of the results was less travel which resulted in less pollution and definitely yeah all that air travel all over the place is definitely not good for the environment but but it sure is fun to travel it's something I, i'm looking forward to being oh, able to do again yes oh me too and I love travel. I've been traveling all my life. Um, but I can recognize that every flight I've, well, pretty much every flight I've ever bought has always been a proper price ticket. I don't really use many of the small, super cheap airlines that are just literally 
busing people around Europe, delivering them so that they can, instead of being in England consuming, they take them to Spain and let them consume there and lay in the sun for two weeks and then ship them back again at $49 a ticket. So we can do, we're, we're working on a mass scale rather than a, an economically uh, viable scale where you're paying 300 bucks for that seat. They've just minimized it. Lots of flights, super cheap, get them going, we'll make the money. You know, that, it, it's one business model, but it, it's a business model we don't really need. You know, if, there has to be a price for that travel. And if, it, if we make it too cheap and too easy, then yes, the effect is on our atmosphere. Everyone gets a cheap holiday, fantastic. Actually, it's better to have an expensive holiday and have less of an effect on our yeah. atmosphere. And yeah, I think somehow there has to be a way to price the damage that you're causing into the cost of the ticket like that, because that, that $99 ticket probably causes $200 worth of environmental damage. Yeah. So that needs to be somehow taxed or it needs to be calculated into the cost of that ticket because yeah, like in the long term, we got to be basically de-incentivize being wasteful and, and polluting. But I, I think so, also... One of the things that this has done is it has uh, incentivized people to stay at home and enjoy where they live because people are, people are always having these ideas about, oh my God, it's going to be so amazing if I get over there. Hey, open your eyes. Most of the time it can be amazing, but you've got these aspirations for something over there. So you can't really get in and focus and enjoy what you have because that's the thing that's going to bring the joy. And you've only got this and I want that. You can't have that. So you better start looking and enjoying this. And New Zealand tourism now is surviving from New Zealanders. And there's right. only 5 million of us. And we used to have an influx of God knows how many million every year of overseas tourists coming. And we haven't had it. But we're surviving. Oh, right. there you go. People That's are traveling excellent. within the borders. Yeah. Yeah. I've been living here on Oahu for over 30 years. And I just... For the first time, went to this on a hike to Ka'au Crater. Like I've never been there, and just being up there on the mountain and just seeing this view and being out there is awesome. And it's yeah, probably just as good as traveling around the world to see something somewhere else. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and it's, it's really that's what the cool thing about tra uh, traveling is that the, the sense of adventure and seeing new things and having new experiences and but yeah a lot of that you can experience cl much closer to home if you wanted to and so just the mindset cool what do you do to keep your keep a positive mindset and stay healthy and young at heart and so on any secrets to life that you can share the staying positive that's purely that's a choice you have every day you wake up in the morning you make it a good day or a bad day. You can turn the problems that are actually only molehills into mountains. That's all your choice. And what I try and do is wake up and be grateful to be alive. The sky is gray. Enjoy a gray sky. If the sky is blue and breathing, you've got a chance to have a great the next 18 hours while you're awake or whatever it's going to be. Just get up and go and make your life happen. Be active, motivate, connect with nature daily. And... Yeah, sort of. Those are great tips. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, it's almost impossible to be in a negative mindset if you're grateful for everything you have. So, yeah, if you remind yourself of the things that you you can be grateful for, that's definitely a good way to stay positive. And then, yeah, the other thing for, for us, 
yeah, getting out there, getting yeah. on the water, getting into nature is always a good way to change, it's also, change your mindset. I'm, I feel very lucky that I don't have a TV. So my life isn't indoctrinated with other people's rhetoric. It's only indoctrinated with what actually is my day and what is within my realm. And for sure, you can say that it's good to to know what's happening over in Guatemala or whoever or whatever. But I can't affect it. Its relevance to me might be uh, life-threatening, but I'll deal with that when it happens. The best thing I can do is to not have all that extra noise affecting what my real life is and my real existence, which is what I have here. I cut all the peripheral noise and the TV is the biggest mind-altering vehicle that has ever been created. And it generally feeds, in the modern day, drama. And people bring that drama into their own lives because they see it on TV every day and too much of it. And it's all over-dramatized. So that's now how they think they should be reacting to things that happen. Whereas it's drama, it's TV. They're overreacting to everything. What you should be doing is... Uh, switching it off and doing anything else <laughs> all right that's a great way to end the interview i think uh, yeah that's really good advice i i don't watch the news i i like to stay informed and in but usually i try to read it and from a from a good source i i like to read the economist and get all my information on, from that yeah. it's like basically yeah, yeah. All, all, all i need to know about the world and it's more kind of yeah it's dry it's like it helps me fall asleep <laughs> Yeah, something like The Economist has intellectual content. Fantastic. I, I, I like The Economist when I sit down on a plane and it's in the rack or whatever. Yeah, definitely yeah. The Economist. But what I'm talking about here is this is mind-numbing pollution. It seems to me that the, the mass of the population hasn't worked out that this is a tool just to take over your life so that you go and do what they want you to do, which is spend money and and they don't really care about you. You know, it's just spend your money, buy this latest thing that you don't need, piece of shit, junk, because, well, whatever, and overreact to things because you've seen it on TV. It's just like, man. Yeah, it's, and it's, eat, it's, eat junk food, don't exercise. Oh, God, and yeah. Consume lots of drugs and die, die young. <laughs> Yes. after you spend yeah. millions of dollars on medical care <laughs> that seems to be like how they want you to live your life right yeah. exactly it's absolutely nuts and there's such beautiful lives to be lived if you just wake up and actually take control of your own life and live it and stop with all the junk and the peripheral rubbish and it's so easy you know one of my favorites is people don't believe that you can be happy all the time because there has to be a yin and a yang why not i'm pretty much happy all the time and th there's no secret to it it's a choice you can something comes along it affects you you're like oh at least the sky's still blue oh yeah. <laughs> fantastic it, it's where you choose to to put your thoughts you just yeah. if they're in a shit place take them away put them somewhere else yeah it's like having a default your default is happy and yeah, sometimes you get knocked out of it, but then like you get back to your default state, which is, yeah, don't let it affect you for too long. And it's just remind yourself like, okay, this is yeah. not how I am. Most, right? most, of the, most of the time, if it's not life-threatening for you or your family, guess what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> that's true. All right. Well, great. I think that's really good stuff. Love it. <laughs> Thanks nice so much, one. Rob. I really appreciate yeah. it. 
when you come out with some new stuff, I'll, I'll hit you up again for another interview and keep it going maybe in six to 12 months or whenever you, there's also, new stuff to talk about. Yeah. No worries anytime. But also okay. thank you for your enthusiasm bringing you to, uh, to generate this enthusiastic people that help spread the knowledge. So thank you very much. All right. Yeah, no problem. I do it because I enjoy it. So it's easy. <laughs> Have a great night and uh, we'll talk soon. Aloha. Thank you. It alkalizes you. Yes. Uh, I'm a, a bit of a, a tweaker when it comes to... <laughs> uh, so I, like, I like to balance my bad habits with some good habits, but I've got plenty of bad ones too. <laughs> So you drink water with apple cider vinegar and, and what, what else you said? Baking soda. So alkalizing. I've heard that putting a little bit of lemon, fresh lemon juice in, in the water also alkalizes you, even though it's an acid. So it does, doesn't make sense, but I guess it alkalizes your system. That's what right. I've been drinking. I believe it does. Yeah, yes. that's what I've been doing in the morning. I just drink water with a little bit of lemon juice in it. It seems, seems to work. I'm actually told this is one of the best ways to start the day but I can tell you how to make it even better for you. Okay. Uh, there's only a certain amount of effective goodness in the juice. The best thing you can do is freeze the lemon and in the morning, grate the lemon with the rind. Uh-huh. So you're taking a bit of internal as well as external. And a lot of the goodness that's in the lemon is in the rind. So right. by, by doing that, so that's my go-to first drink of the day is uh grated lemon frozen lemon into water that's my first one then i get onto the coffee yeah i love coffee too i don't think i'm ever gonna stop drinking coffee but it yeah it's easy to get addicted to the caffeine but i find that one of the hardest things to quit is caffeine <laughs> but yes. yeah yeah like i say okay. I'm addicted to many good things coffee is another one <laughs> yeah